right down the street from where we live. And it's a Greek place. And so me and my wife were very excited to go check it out. And so we went and got our normal kind of order, some gyros and salad and whatever. And we got that. I took it home. And then a few weeks later, we had some friends that live right by us. They also were excited. And they went and tried out the same place. And so they brought and they got very similar to what our order was. And so naturally over dinner, we would just started talking about our opinions of the food and opinions of what we, how good we thought it was. And unfortunately for my wife and I, our opinion wasn't very positive. And so we would say, man, the meat we got was just really dry. And then they would say, really? Ours was actually really juicy. I said, yeah, but, you know, the fries that we got, man, they were so soggy. They're like, that's just how we like it. Okay. And so they're like, and all these other things, we just kind of kept going back and forth or whatever. But we finally came to this is the big thing for us. So we love Greek salad. We love all the peppers and just the feta cheese and all the stuff that goes in there. And so normally feta cheese comes in a block and you crumble it up and put it in the salad. But this place just cut a square of feta cheese. I swear it's like two pounds and just flopped it in the container. And we're like, there was a block of cheese. And they go, a block of cheese. It was amazing. And we're like, what are you talking about? That was, we will never go back. They're like, we've already been back. <laughs> and so it was just so funny to us how we could have the same kind of opinion. We have different opinions in the same scenario of the same, very similar orders, very similar time. But we have radically different opinions which shaped our perspectives of the outcome. Okay, we've been in a series called Easter People the last couple of weeks, and we've been taking people out of the Easter story and looking at their their narrative, looking at situations that happened in their life and trying to learn from them. We looked at Peter a couple of weeks ago on his failure and then his recommissioning back into ministry. Last week, Pastor, Pastor Joe taught on Jesus as king and his first coming and his second future coming. And today we're going to be talking about two thieves on a cross. Are you talking about how their opinions of Jesus radically shaped their perspectives of Jesus and their responses to Jesus? Amen? That was so weak. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm leaving. We're going to be responsive, interactive today. I need a little bit of your support today as we're talking. Should we pray before we get going? That was okay. Should we pray? All right. Let's go. Father Jesus, Holy Spirit. We just welcome your presence right now. Thank you, God, that this service is not about me. It's not about the worship team. That this is your service. That you have a word to go out today, Father. Lord, I just surrender any pride, any control, God, and just give it to you. Would you just right now, God, as we just sing, start breaking down any walls, any barriers that we have to hear your word. Anything that you were already putting in our hearts, God, before this Sunday came, in the worship, God, even afterwards, God, would you start pricking us, talking to us, God, speaking to us and whispering to us, God. May we be responsive to your call. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, our main text today is going to be Luke 23, verse 39 through 43. You can go ahead and put your finger in that passage and open up to that. We're going to be staying there for most of the service. Luke 23, verse 39. Before we get to that, Jesus has already undergone, he's already gone before Pilate. His disciples have already left him. He's been beaten. He's been bruised. He's been hung on a cross. 
And that's where we're picking up our text today as he's been hanging and dying for a while already. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. I'm reading out of the NLT today. It says, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have sentenced to die? You deserve to, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said to Jesus, and then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today we're looking at this, the, these two men, two men that both had access to Jesus, both had uh, sat between them, both dying on a cross, but had radically different opinions that shaped their perspectives and how they approached Jesus and the outcome of that relationship with Jesus. Before we get to that, though, I want to set up a little bit of the context for us to understand who these men were. I want to be able to dive just a little bit into their history so that we can understand a little bit better where these opinions are coming from. You know, I had a friend that went here once, and they were told me they grew up in the city. And they learned that at night they just stopped locking their cars. Because they learned that thieves were going to come and they're going to steal their radio and steal their blockings. But if they didn't lock the car, then they wouldn't smash the window. They just open the door and take stuff. And so here we have two thieves. And this word is very specific for this thief. Because normally the, the uh, punishment for a thief is not death by crucifixion. Normally punishment for a thief was to repay what you took with interest. And so the word here used for this thief is a specific type of thief that takes with violence and by force to hurt somebody, to harm somebody, even to kill them. And so this is not the thief that sneaks in the middle of the night and opens your car door and takes your radio and quietly sneaks off. This is the type of thief that forces their way into their home and hurts you while they're taking your belongings. And so this is the place that we find ourselves today. Luke calls them two criminals. The Gospel of John says two other men. But Mark and Matthew calls these two revolutionists. And that's kind of the important part that I want to uh, fixate on a little bit for just a little while. Why does this matter? Why are we taking time to go into all this? Because it helps us understand how they approach Jesus. It helps us understand their opinions and helps us understand their responses to Jesus on the cross. You see, Jesus, historical figure... He was not the only proclaimed Messiah in his time. For years and years and years, the Jewish people had been under oppression from the Roman government. They had been taxed heavily by this foreign entity, this uh, Gentile group that came in and told them how to worship or when they could worship and how they could spend their money. They came in and they even had this rule where the Romans could come in and tell them, hey, drop what you're doing, take my backpack and carry it for a mile. Imagine that you're just at Aldi doing your thing, trying to find eggs and whatever, and somebody comes up, a person from the government with a badge, and says, hey, drop your groceries and carry my stuff. How would you feel? Like, I barely carry stuff for my kids, like, let alone somebody else coming and telling me, no, carry your own backpack. And so here we have that the Jews hated the Romans. They hated the oppression, and for years and years and years, they've been oppressed and pushed down and uh, overtaxed, and they had words and words upon words from prophets and in the Bible about a coming Messiah. He's coming. 
a Savior's coming. He's going to release you from this. And with those words came a certain expectation. And so the Jews imagined that we're God's sending us a warlord. God's sending us a mighty warrior to save us from our persecution. God's sending us somebody that's going to rise up and band us together and fight back and push back this government force. And so Jesus didn't meet that expectation. And so the Jews do something as they're waiting and in their oppression and in their frustration and in their desire for freedom and safety and peace. They do something that's very, very, very human to do. They take matters into their own hands. And we're going to talk about that to more extent in a couple weeks. But just suffice it to say, whenever we do that, it doesn't end well. Whenever we force God in our timing and in our way, things don't go well for us. And a division rose up in the Jews called zealots. And these men were men that they were self-proclaimed messiahs or saviors. They were flashy. They were good looking. They spoke well. And they were able to draw crowds around them to saying, follow me. Follow me. I'll lead you to where we need to go. Follow me. I'm the messiah. Follow me and I'll take you where we need to go. And they were called revolutionists or rabble-risers. And they would push back against the Roman government to try to free the people. Reverend Benjamin Kramer says it this way. We want the war horse and Jesus rides a donkey. We want the eagle and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove. We want to take up swords, but Jesus takes up the cross. We want the roaring lion, but God comes as a slaughtered lamb. We keep trying to arm God, yet God keeps trying to disarm us. The Zealots were an aggressive political party whose concern for the national and religious life of the Jewish people led them to despise even Jews who sought peace and reconciliation with the Roman authorities. And so the Zealots were this guerrilla warfare group that arose. And they would gather many people around them and they would hide way up high in the hill country of uh, Jerusalem and they would hide way up carve out livings in caves. And Acts 5 and Acts 21 tells us that these groups could be as many as 400 to 4,000 men. And so they would sit there in their caves, and that's a lot of guys. That's a lot of guys. They're just sitting there hiding from the government. And so to be able to provide for themselves, and in their pursuit back against the Roman government, they would raid them. They would watch the roads and they would uh, raid Roman parties and they would raid Jews and they would come down and they, would be, they took on names as like bandits and thieves. And so they would come down and even kill people to take what they needed to fight their holy war, they thought. And so the names that we get in Matthew and Mark as revolutionists, we think that these thieves were not just thieves that came and stole something. There were thieves that most likely killed somebody in the process when they got caught. And this revolutionist name that we get, that they were most likely following a false messiah, a false zealot. And they were so passionate to even do something that would cause them to sin, cause them to hurt somebody, cause them to hurt possibly even a fellow Jew, that they secured a place next to Jesus on the cross. We learned that there was many people like this. There's a historian called um, Flavorus Judius, and he created Josephus. Sorry, he documented years, a few years after Jesus, about 12 to 15 different zealot leaders that rose up and pushed back against the Roman Empire. And these were hardened men, hardened men. 
There would be big festivals and they would sneak in amongst the, amongst the joy and amongst the festivities and they would stab people. And then as they're laying there, they would hide their knives and start screaming with the crowd. They were called assassins. These were hard men. Men scraping out a living. But the point that I'm trying to make today is that they chose to push God to come sooner. They had all these prophetic words in the Bible about a coming Savior, a coming Messiah. But they said, we cannot wait for that. It's not happening like we thought it would. It's not happening in our time frame. And so it said, let's take things into our own hands. Let's take things into our control. Let me do it. Let me help God out because he's just not moving fast enough. And I don't know about you, but I've done that for a whole lot less than oppression. I've done it when I'm a little bit distraught, a little bit late for work. My kids are just taking a little bit too long to put their shoes on or to buckle up in their car seat. Just get out of the way. Let me do it. I'm a little bit frustrated at work. Just let me do it. Just move. Maybe I'm just hungry. I've done it for just that. There's these times that we try to take control away from God and manipulate things in our timing and our way. Just a little bit ago, we sang a song saying about the name of Jesus and the power that it brings, the chains that it breaks. And maybe that's a new song for you. Maybe you've been here for a while and you've sang that song. But the thing is, is that we sing that song, but so many times we replace the name of Jesus with something else. Something that I can manipulate and control and can touch. Something I can can force into being. And so maybe that's a relationship. Maybe that's sex or pornography. Maybe that's power or authority or your position in your career or your job. Maybe it's mindfulness, meditation. Maybe it's logic and science. Maybe it's just simple as food or TV or YouTube or reels. Maybe it's whiskey and white claws. Maybe there's power in your status among your peers, whether you're well-liked or if you have a lot of friends. Maybe there's power in what you can buy and attain and always needing more and more and more. Maybe it's just simply numbing yourself out so you don't actually have to think about it. Staying so busy that you don't actually have to slow down and think about how disappointed we are. Where's God? When's he going to move? Where is this Messiah? Where is this Savior? What's happening? And all of this helps us approach and understand the thieves on the cross. Two men with two radically different opinions. We don't know for sure what their whole backgrounds were, but we know they're called thieves and they're called revolutionists. We know that most likely they killed somebody to secure a place next to Jesus. Most likely, they took matters into their own hand to control their life, to control the future of the Jewish people. Most likely, they were just looking for peace and for freedom and for safety, which, if we're all honest, that's the things that we look for ourselves. Can I just be happy? Can I feel safe? Can I feel free and unoppressed? And when those things start to push back on us, whether they be big or whether they be small, Every day we have opportunity to respond. Do I try to take control of the situation myself? And so today we're going to look at these two men, this first one and a second one. And I want the question I want running into your mind today is, which man, which criminal do I relate to more right now? 
which man, which person, how do, which opinion really reflects my current heart condition right now? Let's go back to our text. Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him, that's Jesus, scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. And so we receive this first perspective of a man. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says it this way. It says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it is the very power of God. Matthew Henry, commentator, says it this way, is that for some the cross of Christ is the smell of death, yet others it's the smell of life. It's incredible to me that these men, in hands distance and touching distance of Jesus, have such two completely opposite opinions of who he is. And the first man we see from his perspective is that I still control my life. With his dying breaths, in his last minutes and moments he has on earth, he still believes he has things under control. We just, I'm a little bit behind, but I just caught up on the most recent Spider-Man. Where are we going? Okay, and so this is the thing. Is that time and time again you see this 18-year-old, this young guy, just always saying, I have it under control, I have it under control, and things are blowing up, and people are running around, and cars are getting smashed, I have it under control, I have it, and the whole point is that you don't have it under control. You don't got it, Peter Parker, and you don't got it, thief, and so all of a sudden he's thinking, no, I've got this, I'm part of the crowd still, and you see him join the people in the crowd mocking Jesus. It's crazy to me because it shows that he has a prideful heart, that he still thinks he's on the outside looking in. Psalms 1 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. He is hardened to the end even in his death. My son, we were learning, he's only three years old, and we were learning that especially as a child coming out of the quarantines of COVID, that he's very easily overstimulated. He's very, very easily, if it's a loud setting, lots loud music, even if we're just talking loud at the dinner table, he'll all of a sudden, once in a while, can't really predict it, just seize up and just scream, quiet, will you turn it down, will you stop talking, or just go, ah, and we're learning that even from a young age, you will try to manipulate your environment and control the things you can do. He can't physically turn down the music. He can't get people stopping, but he can control his voice. And so he'll use that to try to control the situation. I may not be able to control what my boss does. I may not be able to control what this year brings. We surely were not able to control the last two years. But what can I control? How I type on Facebook. How much I drink at night. <laughs> this quarantine, was it 10 or 30 pounds that we gained during the COVID season? I can control those things. And we, from a very early age, we learned that we try to grip and touch things that we can control to try to bring control to our inner self. I, everything is going chaos, but I can't control this. And so you see this man at the very end of himself still trying to control his situation. I was raised on the Bee Gees, Celine Dion, and Michael Jackson. 
It wasn't my choice. That was my parents. It was actually my father. But one of those songs, in 1968, the Bee Gees came out with a song. He said, I started a joke which started the whole world crying. But I didn't see that the joke was on me. Oh, no. I started to cry which started the whole world laughing. Oh, if I had only seen that the joke was on me. And here's this man hanging next to Jesus. And he thinks that he's still on the outside. He thinks he's still got it under control. And he joins the crowd in mocking the one person that could save him. Come down. If you're the Messiah, come down and save me while you're at it. When we control the situation and in our pride, we're never wrong. It's never my fault. Have you ever come up to a, a four-way stop and you're actually the one that's supposed to wait and you blow past somebody and then they honk the horn and you're like, well, if you had slowed down a little faster, I would have known. Like, it's clearly your fault. I do that all the time. Do that all the time. My wife's like, what's wrong with you? You were definitely wrong. I'm like, no! You know, if they had a bigger car, I would have seen them and I wouldn't have stopped. What are you even talking about? And this man in his pride and trying to control his life says, definitely not me. This is definitely your fault. I'm with everybody else on the outside. I still got it under control. But then we get to perspective number two, the other man hanging next to Jesus. And he realizes that there is only one thing that will bring you peace. Church, there is only one thing that will give you true freedom. There's only one thing that will bring safety to you no matter what is going on around you, even on your deathbed. Verse 40, but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die. We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so here we see that he is no longer disillusioned. Here we see a man that walks through the ABCs of salvation. He admits that he's done something wrong. The first step in releasing control and stop trying to control your, your life is realizing that you can't control it. You can only respond to it. You have a choice of how you respond to life. We tell our kids, they always ask, because we we're just coming in the time and, of uh, watching superhero movies and bad guys and cartoons. It's like, is that, is that a bad guy? We pass somebody on the road, a police officer has somebody. Did, are they arresting a bad guy? And my wife has been so good at teaching them, no. There's no bad guys. There's just people that make bad choices. And so we see here that even at the end, you have an idea of, you have, do you respond well or poorly? You can't control what happens around you, but you can control how you respond. And so we see him in humility own that he's made a mistake. We see him in humility assert that this, I deserve this. This is the first indication for pride. In my own heart, in your own heart, taking the time to think, is this right? This fault that's coming at me, are you immediately defensive? Are you immediately going to tell that other person all the ways they've wronged you and hurt you? Or are you just going to be able to stand there and be able to take the offense? When I'm off with my wife and I'm in a bad place, I want to justify myself in a fight. I want to say, no, you're wrong. Look at all the ways. 
But if I've said there's power in the name of Jesus, if I've taken the time to not try to fight to be right, to try to fight to find reconciliation instead of winning our fight, then I can say even if I was wrong, which isn't often, usually it's the other way around. (laughs) You're laughing way harder at that than you should. Come on. And we realize that we have control over our response to him. Is your situation bringing pride out of you or is it fostering a spirit of humility in you? Whatever he deserved to hang next to Jesus, he owns it. And then next we see that he believes that Jesus will come again. Pastor Joe preached last week on the first entrance and the second future entrance of Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Do you believe that he is coming again? Because everything falls short if we stop there. Everything falls short if we think that this religion is just a good place to find moral ways to live our life and it produces wisdom and wealth in us. If we stop short of the power of cross, we stop short of salvation itself. He says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Surely he didn't think that Jesus was about to pop off the cross and walk through the crowd and go raise up another rabble and to conquer the Romans. And so he says, surely, remember me. Romans 10, 13. What I love about this second criminal is this. He proves that there is no right way. There's no perfect way. Did I say that prayer right? Did I do enough bad things to disqualify myself? Here is a man that literally cannot do anything else to prove how good he is. Here is a man hanging on a cross, not able to even use his hand to scratch his head to be able to try to make himself worthy enough of Jesus' attention. Romans 10.13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There may be some of you today that are feeling I am so unworthy of Jesus' attention. There may be some of you who are here today because you came up for Easter and I said, yeah, Grandma, I'll come with you to church. And maybe you're thinking I'm just not good enough for this church thing. I don't have the nice clothes. People will judge me when I walk in through the doors. Here's a man that was destined to die, deserving of his death because of some crime that we don't fully know. But he has Jesus' ear. Every person who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You have access to Jesus today. The last thing I love about this is how Jesus responds to him. The criminal says, when you do that, remember me. Someday, in the distant future, someday you're coming back. Someday you're going to rise into your kingdom. Would you just remember me? And Jesus' response is that, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. This word paradise is a unique word in the New Testament. It is used only three times. Revelations 2.7, 2 Corinthians 12, 2 and 4, and Luke 23.43. And each time it refers, Paul calls it the third heaven. In Revelation it talks back to the tree of life. And here we see it as paradise, but it refers back to the Garden of Eden when there is no obstacle between man and God. And so it refers less to a place, but a position with God. And so he's saying, today, no matter what you did to sit next to me, you will have access to the Father. Today. 
But the thing that I need you to understand in this is that he does not deliver him off of a cross. Your sins have separated you and caused consequences in your life. And just because you believe in Jesus doesn't mean that you may not have to fill out those consequences. You may still have broken relationships. You may still have baggage that came along. You may still be working through a couple things that are your vices. But you have access unblocked between you and God, the author of peace and safety and true freedom in your life. And so the thief still has to die. There's things in your life that salvation just won't magically fix. You won't all of a sudden be out of debt and a millionaire. You may still have to make up or work hard to get past some of the consequences of the decisions you've made. There's things in my life that I'm still working through that I made 15 years ago. Choices that I made that I'm still mindsets that I put in place over myself that I always try to gravitate back to and take control of. I have to remind myself of my identity in Jesus. I have to remind myself of the power of the cross and what it did. Because nothing I did could earn what Jesus does for this man. This criminal had no hope of becoming worthy of his attention. Yet Jesus says, today, I assure you, offering peace, offering assurance, offering resolution that you will be with me today. Unfettered relationship with the Father and me in paradise. And so paradise is much less a place on earth than it is a a position between you and God. Other places in the New Testament, Jesus says, my kingdom, and he talks about how the kingdom is here and present. We always think it's like up and down, like hell's down there somewhere towards the middle of the earth and heaven's up there above Mars. But Jesus talks about how it's right here. It's available and accessible today. Again, the question is, which criminal do you relate to more today? Like I said at the very beginning, it takes much less than an oppressive government to come and control and dictate how I live for me to try to control my life. It takes much less for my son or my little daughter to try to control the situation. And many times, even though I've given my life to Christ a long time ago, I still battle with him and try to take control back from him. Many times I forget the power of the name of Jesus Christ, and I instill some and say, no, I'm the powerful one. I am, my life's out of control. Everything's going crazy. I can't control this, or I'm just hungry and mad. And I can manipulate these things to be how I want them to do. I can make God move faster than, I want him, than he is moving. I can make him do something that he's not doing. I can do it in my way, in my time. And it's pride. It sneaks in. It makes me mock the cross. It makes me sit with the scoffers and think, what can that do for me? Or do you sit as a desperate man, realizing the deficiency you have in yourself, realizing that you've earned exactly what you have, and realizing that there's only one thing, one name that can lead you out of this moment. His name is Jesus Christ. And a little bit here. In a little bit here, we're going to just give an opportunity to do exactly what the second criminal did, which is to call on the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
Before we get to that, I just ask that you just start running through your head and running through your mind. What has God been speaking to you through this whole service? Maybe it wasn't even something I said or a worship song we sang, but maybe there's been something just burning in you. Maybe there's something that your heart's been feeling heavy or God's been just saying something over and over and over again. Don't doubt that. Don't doubt it that God's not been speaking to you right here, right now. What's the part of this message that you're supposed to gravitate towards? And focus on that. In a little bit, there's going to be a call, and I'm going to just lead you through a very simple prayer. If you've realized that you're here today, and in your own capacity, in your own faculties, are trying to control your life, but you don't have that freedom, you don't have that peace, you don't have that safety that you're looking for, Jesus is the way. And it starts with a simple relationship of yes. It starts with him saying, follow me, and you saying, yes, I'll go. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't know how to pray. I barely like to show up to church. I don't have anything to wear next week. But it starts with yes. Jesus promises that he'll light your path. He's not going to show you the whole destination of where you're going, but he'll show you the next step. This is the first one, though. If you take this step in faith, he'll show you the next one in faith. Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You know, the payment of our sin, the product of us trying to control our life, is both a spiritual and a physical death. But Jesus came and died and rose to pay off that debt, and he offers that to you as what we call it as salvation or that free gift from God. A couple years ago, we had our youngest daughter, and somebody, a friend, very kind, sent us a Grubhub gift card. Unfortunately, where we live, we don't have a lot of Grubhub places, and so we used it once when we were out. But as I was preparing this message, I was thinking about it, and for whatever reason, it popped in my head. I checked, and I had a bunch of money still on this Grubhub gift card. But it just sat on that card unused. If I were today to just give you a gift, and I hand it to you, and I said, here you go, here you go, take the gift, and you just put it on your shelf, and you never unwrapped it. It's not yours. There's no strings attached with salvation, but gifts do require a response. The call of salvation is free to all and accessible to all. You know what I love the most about this story? Is that Jesus sat between, hung between two criminals. There's no favoritism. There is equal access to two men that needed Jesus. And each had their own opinions, each had their own perspectives on who he was, but they each had access to the cross. Gifts require participation and response. And so the gift of salvation is simply doing what the criminal on the right or whatever side did. Admitting there's a separation between me and God with sin. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God who returns. And choosing to believe him and choosing to follow him. We can do to worship lighting, please, in the house. Church, in just a minute here, we're going to lead you through just a very simple prayer. As simple as the man dying on a cross. 
Nothing's overly special about this prayer except that it's an assertion of you saying, all I need is Jesus Christ. I've been trying to do this for a long time, and I can't do it myself. Jesus, I need you. If you would, just take a second, and would you please bow your head and just respect to other people around you in just a moment of privacy. Father God, I just pray you'd start working on every heart right now. Lord God, if there's anybody that's here today and this is their moment and their time, God, to come to you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray you would not let fear or doubt dissuade them, God. Lord, I pray if there's any pride in the house today, God, that you would just break that spirit, that chain, God, when the power of Jesus be able to come through instead, Father. Thank you, God, you came as a gentle leader, not forcing us, not beating us over the head, God, but with just a simple invitation to follow me.